these gold workers, they worked so, so continuously. Our reading tonight, with that in mind, is in Matthew's Gospel, um, chapter 9, verse 35. Alan's going to pop it on the screen for us. And uh, it is this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, or the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. It's, it's that turning of the year that makes us think, doesn't it? Who made resolutions? Phil can, uh, admitted this morning he's broken his already, one of them at least. Starting on time at half past ten, we, uh, we broke that. Hey, has anyone else got resolutions that they care? No. I think we, uh, I remember being very earnest about resolutions when I was younger, and I think by virtue of probably knowing my own personality, as I've got older, I thought there's not much point making them anymore, because they get broken. But it is a time uh, of over Christmas where I find myself stopping from the kind of normal routine and just thinking back over the year and thinking forwards. And often I'm drawn back to this passage. It's one that has meant a lot to me and still does. That what we are essentially are people called by Jesus, commissioned by Jesus and sent out, followers and workers, because it's for Christ's mission a mandate is to follow. In language of Ephesians, Paul would put it that God has prepared good works for us in advance to do. Jesus says there's a harvest and workers are needed. Uh, Martin Luther, a, a commentator, a writer, a thinker, said this, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, that suffers nothing, is worth nothing. Now, in, in our modern time of thinking about religion, that's a, a strong statement to make when we know of the cost of and the, the, how far people are willing to go for their own particular brand of faith. But he was speaking into the context, I guess, of, of half-heartedness, of, of just being there for show, for Sunday, for, uh, for society, for status. A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. Underlying the joy of knowing Jesus is his call and commission to be ones who go and serve into a world, to a harvest field. Mission, 
It's one of those things that I've been thinking about and, and praying about and holding in forth in my own mind as I, as I can embark upon this year and thinking and praying for us as a church. Delighted that there are people being saved, but annoyed, the wrong word, frustrated that it's not as many as we'd want, is it? I was reminded of the gold diggers, of those little nuggets of great worth that they would strive unceasingly to reclaim from the depths of the earth. Backbreaking, earnest, diligent, committed, hard work for the precious reward. And I think that's, that's what Jesus is implying. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, walking, moving from place to place. We know that he, he didn't go around with lots of, uh, of money and, uh, and places to stay in nice uh, travel lodges and premier lodges with uh, comfortable mattresses. But move from place to place with the good news. It all centered around Jesus. We know that that's what it is to be a church, not just that place that we come and, uh, and find friends, though that is great, but it is centered around Jesus, Christ in the center and Christ's body gathered. And that call and that mandate to follow, to go, to have faith in what he does. No servant is greater than, his, than the master. Jesus is the master, it is costly and requires diligence. That in, in this passage, there are just some things that I'm drawn to. And they sum up in five words. See, care, pray, receive, go. See, care, pray, receive, and go. Jesus went through the villages, the towns, teaching, preaching, healing, meeting. When he saw the crowds... He says he, he describes them as tormented and exhausted, led astray. Phil reminded this morning in language about how we, we sometimes approach non-Christians that can upset them. But actually, Jesus knows that without him, there is lostness. Without him, there is, he described that they were harassed and helpless The supreme motive for mission is to see the need of others perishing outside the kingdom. It's true. Uh, and, but when Jesus employs the language of sheep, uh, I often think of the Cotswolds. I was just driving back the other night. It was a bit foggy, and, and one of the fields up near Dover's Hill is full of sheep. And they were all sort of standing there in the fog, in the dusk, looking damp, but fairly happy. If sheep are damp and happy, I, I mean, I don't know, not sheep. But it's, you know, they're, they're there. It's a pastoral scene. It's a Cotswold scene. It's, it's a very British scene. And so when we talk about sheep without a shepherd, there wasn't some lady or bloke standing in the field with a crook kind of minding them. They, they were fenced in and, 
Uh, I'm pretty sure there's no wolves around, and uh, they, were, they were pretty fine, these sheep, just getting on with sheepy business. I think that picture so often characterizes with just this, this mindset that is formed often for us. We hear that we are sheep of God, but, and we hear that those who are without Jesus are like sheep without a shepherd. But we don't hear this harassed and helpless. We hear they're in their field. They're feeding themselves. They're kind of looked after. Someone sprays them with them side, side to time. But they seem generally fine. But the, the picture was, was, was totally transformed for me a, a, a couple of years ago in a time of flooding. I happened to be driving in Wales, another place for sheep to be found in abundance. And this time, they weren't in the field. They were, they'd managed in a sheep-like fashion to get out. <laughs> you know, they do that. I do remember driving with my dad years ago, quite often, and we seemed to hit sheep an awful lot. They seemed to be on the roads everywhere in the, the Peak District near our house in, in Sheffield. And wherever we went, there seemed to be sheep out. I think they must have got better fences now. But, but this, later on, I, I came across, as I was driving, sheep... They were out of their field, they were on the road, and it was kind of, there was this busy road, and the sheep were running in that mad pelt without much thinking. And they were running towards the flood that was at the bottom of the road. Uh, and they, and they, I knew they were harassed and helpless. They were scared for their life because they weren't in the place of good pasture. They were far from it. And for me, that summed up this sense that Jesus is getting to, that they weren't just nice corralled fields, but sheep were out there with their shepherd because the shepherd would look after them and lead them to the good place where they could be content and safe and with the good shepherd. I shall not be in one. Without the good shepherd, they are harassed and helpless and heading down a road with dangerous traffic and floods to the left and right and unable to rescue themselves. I have to say those sheep had wild eyes. See, Jesus sees and speaks. He saw the crowds, that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. One of the things I've been dwelling on with some friends over New Year who aren't believers is that, is that on the one hand, they've got jobs and careers and families, but seeing harassed and helpless that they don't see exhausted by the pace of life, the pressure of, of what do we believe, how do we negotiate, how are the fears that pressure and hold them down. What's the point? Going nowhere, one, one friend's just lost his father and having to fulfill the conditions of the will and, uh, and thinking about now he's the senior of the generation and, and we talk through some of those things. See, I pray the Lord will help us to see again.
And Inspire is in 2016, not just to be a church that gathers and has a good time, but is like those miners, those gold diggers, who will toil for the lost but precious. Care, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, stirred deep down inside from the guts, from the bowels, from that deep place, stirred with compassion to make a difference. Jesus said, do you see? Can you see with my eyes, with compassion, and moves into chapter 10 and sends them? But first, care. Compassion means moving from the place of comfort to the place of engagement. I remember hearing about Mother Teresa and her beatification. We won't go into debates about saints tonight. But there was a commentary on her life in Calcutta. Why did she step into the gutter from moving from um, Albania to the other side of the world to the place of a city based around the cult of death? to rescue those on the threshold of death and give them at least some hope in dying. She had compassion. She was willing to move herself to the place of, of greatest need because she was stirred deep down. She wasn't worried about being too respectable, but she was moved with compassion. I pray as we journey through this, that as we see, we would be stirred with compassion, not be overwhelmed by the need or the mountain to climb, but stirred nonetheless. Stirred to think that if we don't, who will? Compassion that says we'll move from what beyond what we are worried about, about other people and what they think of us saying it doesn't matter for the sake of the lost. See, care, pray. Pray for the harvest. It is here. It may not seem like a laden pear tree, but it is. We're called to pray. Why do we not go? Why do we not care? Why do we not pray? The harvest is great. I was thinking about what steps of faith do I take at the beginning of a year. And I was drawn back to this, to this mandate, this, this call to pray and believe that it's true. That there is a harvest, not just of one or two, but it is white. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray. Great opportunity. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Ask Jesus. Ask Jesus. Here I am, send me, he said that wonderful song echoing the prophets, particularly Isaiah. Pray for many more to come, but pray too, knowing that he sends us. Jesus called the twelve. 
those world changers, those amazing bunch and their friends, and gave them authority. Receive, he said. Receive the authority of Jesus. Go out and go. Go out and dig for gold. Go out and find the fruit that is harvestful and plentiful. One of the things I remember talking with Phil about and is, is one of the things throughout this, the, this church's recent history has been what, what, we've, what Phil has called, and rightly so, a culture of invitation. Uh, it's not just to say come and uh, to come in, but it's that invitation to come and belong as a child of God. I want to pray that for us that that would become greater, not lesser, that culture of invitation. I've come to the Lord Jesus. Come, come and find peace. I want to end with a poem. It's, it's seasonal, but helpful. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among brothers and sisters, to make music in the heart. Should we pray?